Hi, everyone. This is Lindsay, one of the hosts of Yield Crime. Just wanted to give you a heads up that since you were listening to an earlier episode of Yield Crime, you may notice that the audio quality isn't the best. It does get better, I promise. If you are willing to stick with it, great. If you'd rather start with better quality audio, I would suggest skipping ahead to episode 19 when we purchased newer, better audio equipment. And on that note, thank you for listening and on with the show. Hey there, true crime friends. It's Melanie Peterson, the host of Mask of Sanity. Join me as I take you through the cases of some of the world's most notorious killers and the brave men and women who risked it all to capture them. You can find Mask of Sanity wherever you listen to podcasts and hear all about the calculated madness of some of the world's most brutal killers who hid behind the Mask of Sanity. You won't want to miss this. Until next time, stay safe, friends. Welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello. Hi. Did you miss me? I did. I missed you. How was Texas? Hot. It was so hot. The food was good. That's good. Food was good. Um, actually, the COVID kind of regulations were upheld in 100 plus degree weather. Everyone was wearing a mask. Um, there were sanitizing stations everywhere. People were spaced properly. It was pretty awesome. It made me feel better about traveling because I was definitely anxious about it. But we had a really good trip. And I do not recommend driving. 19 hours straight. That's uh, fun. That's a rough one. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Especially when um, Google kept taking us on toll roads. And she was like, this is the fastest route. <laughs> and I was like, wait, how much is this? I need money. We basically went through all of Kansas on a toll road. It was like $15 one way. Um, and there was an express lane in Fort Worth that they took a photo of my driver's license, like my license plate. So we'll see how much that was. (laughs) DVD. (laughs) Hashtag Patreon. (laughs) Help me. It'll be good. It was a good trip. How was, how was your surprise guest episode? How did you like it? I thought it was really fun. Did you listen to it? Yes. Did you like it? I did. That's good. I did. I like them a lot. Mm-hmm. If you had to replace me, I'm glad you replaced me with them. <laughs> like, All right. I got two things. The first thing, our plague doctor has finally been crowned. He is now Mortimer the Morbid. Ooh. And our listener, Ariel, from the Modern Murders podcast, is the one who came up with the award-winning name. Thank you, Ariel. And we are sending her some fun little swag as a special thank you for helping us name our plague doctor. Yay! Enjoy your beef tea or whatever it is. (laughs) (laughs) She got all the stickers. She's going to stick them on all the things. Wouldn't it be weird if, like, we asked for our listeners' help and as a thank you, we literally would send them beef tea? Oh, my God. Could you imagine we just send them, like, bouillon cubes yeah. and a cup? And we're like, here, have some beef tea. And, like, a strainer. <laughs> or, like, those, you know, those, like, fun tea strainers of, like, the guy relaxing. Or, like, the manatee. Yeah. We just fill them up with bouillon cubes and you're like, you're welcome. <laughs> Hashtag give us a five star rating. <laughs> Hashtag the worst people ever. Here's some beef tea. Mm. 
good for your digestion. Chase away the COVID, don't you know? Oh, it fixes you up real quick. You got the COVID, get some beef tea and a manatee. Just warms the cockles of the heart, don't you know? You can even drink it over ice. Cool. Ice beef tea makes me want to <laughs> vomit a little bit in my mouth. <laughs> Forget pumpkin cream cold brew. Beef tea. <laughs> beef tea cold brew. Let it, let it sit forever all night. You couldn't even make it outside. Kind of like sun tea, only it's beef tea in the cold. <laughs> Gross. Oh, <laughs> uh, we need to stop. Okay, what's, this, what's the second thing? The second thing is an actual correction from the correction cubby. Oh. All right, we got to open the cubby. What's up? Uh, <laughs> so I keep going back to episode six because apparently I really screwed up episode six. Uh-oh. So back when we were talking about our friend Alfred Packer. Yep. Just as I knew I did, I had mispronounced the name of the town. And it is actually pronounced as Sawatch, not Sagouch or Sagoch, like I was pronouncing it. So it's Sawatch. I thought you said Sagoch. <laughs> <laughs> I did both you know, in the episode. Sagooch. Sagooch. Sagoochie Poochie. So it's actually Sawatch, which again, fucking name things, <laughs> how they are pronounced, people, were as bad as England. Like, seriously. Do you remember? Okay, so we grew up uh, partially in a town called Lamar's. Oh, yeah. And it was named that way by a group of women who stopped. They were on a railroad car. They stopped in Lamar's. And some gentleman was like, oh, what should we name the town? And they used their initials and came up with it. And it was so funny because anyone who came into the town thought it was French. And they're like, Lema. I was like, nope. <laughs> it's just a bunch of white ladies' initials. Lamar's. <laughs> You're welcome, Iowa. <laughs> they have ice cream there. It's the ice cream capital of the world. We make more ice cream in that one spot than any other place in the world. Last time I worked there, it was over 200,000 gallons a day. Wells Blue Bunny. Eat it up. Yum, yum. <gasps> Sponsor us. <laughs> Sponsor us, Blue Bunny. We like ice cream. Oh, I love, oh, I miss Blue Bunny. I miss Bunny Tracks. Willie's now chewing a bone in the background. Can you hear it? No. Good. I can. Makes me feel murdery. Let's get into it. <laughs> Speaking of murder, this week's case is a murder. Hey, we haven't done a murder in a while. We haven't. And that was my fault. Sorry, I just really liked I need to know about the fairy. No, it's okay. So this case is actually one of the first cases that got me really interested in historical true crime. Mm. So we're going to my roots. All right, I'm ready. So this week we are going to be talking about the Red Barn murder. Oh, snap. I think I know this one. We'll see if you do. So information for this episode was pulled from the following sources. A 2019 Mental Floss article by Lucas Riley. A 2015 Mental Floss article by Caitlin Schneider. A 2014 Strange Remains article. A 2011 Executed Today article. And the websites Britain Express, Bonhams, Murderpedia, and Wikipedia. All the pedias. All of the pedias. And as always, links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. And also donate to Wikipedia because why not? Mm -hmm. So as I literally just told you, this is a case that got my interest in historical true crime. Like, And it takes place in the tiny picturesque village of Polstead. In a picture, what's it look like? Polstead, which means place by a pool. Ooh, does everyone have a pool? Oh, hopefully it's an above-ground pool, because those are the classier ones. Those are the classiest ones. Who needs a hot spring when you have... An above-ground pool. When you have, what is it, like, five feet? <laughs> when you could always touch the bottom of your pool. Unless you were 11, which, let's face it, only 11-year-olds use that the majority of the time, anyway. So it's a tiny town in Suffolk, England, situated okay. on a small tributary stream of the River Stour. Famous for its cherries. Yeah, that's right. I love cherries. Cherries fit well with murder. 
<laughs> it is even more famous as the site of the Red Barn murder of Mariah Martin in 1827. Also, she get murdered by cherries. Melatonin no. is a very serious drug. No, her name is spelled Maria, but they pronounce it Mariah. So I had to make it Mariah in all my notes so I wouldn't get it wrong. I hate you, England. <laughs> you make everything so hard. <laughs> <laughs> It's not aluminium, okay? I love you, but you make me so frustrated. (laughs) (laughs) All right, now that that's out of the way. So Mariah Martin, born July 24th, 1801, was the daughter of a local mole catcher named Thomas Martin, who would travel from farm to farm, ridding his neighbors of unwanted vermin for a small fee in addition to food and lodging. Wow. I mean, okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So he was like ye old first exterminator. Pretty much. Moles. Ugh. Yeah. Don't they get to be pretty big? They can be. Yeah. It seems like it'd be a difficult profession. That sounds like a difficult profession because do moles have tails? Small ones. <laughs> Can you like grab them by the tail and throw them away? No. And it's like, it's like they didn't have like dynamite and stuff either at the time to like blow up the holes. So I don't I mean, even know how. They're kind of cute, but they have too many fingers. Like salad fingers? A little bit. So Mariah was noted as being an attractive woman and began seeing a 22-year-old man named William Corder in the spring of 1826. How old was she? 24. So she was only two years older than him. Oh. At the time, she already had two children of her own from from previous dalliances, one of which was with William's older brother, Thomas. Uh Uh-oh. And although the youngest passed away as an infant, her son, Thomas Henry, uh, who was not with William's older brother, Thomas, was believed to have been fathered by a member of the gentry named Peter Matthews, who refused to marry the daughter of a mold catcher. And that's why she named her son, his son, after her ex-boyfriend. Boom. (laughs) Probably. But although he was absent from her life, he did regularly send her five pound notes to support the child. I mean, for old time, like sassafras and stuff like that, it's pretty nice. Yeah. He could have just called him a bastard and like been on his way. So William, who was born in 1803, was known in town as a bit of a ladies man and a fraudster, which caused his wealthy farmer father a great deal of grief. Given the nickname Foxy, William had fraudulently sold his father's pigs, a matter which was handled without involving the local authorities. Mm, Because they're so rich. Doesn't matter. Yep. Even still, (laughs) William continued to swindle his way through life by cashing forged checks, one for as much as 93 pounds, which is just over 2,100 pounds in today's money, and by helping his friend Samuel Beauty Smith steal pigs from neighboring villages. Sounds like a nice guy. Hoping to save face... His father had William sent away to London for a time, but he was sent for when his elder brother Thomas drowned attempting to cross a frozen pond. Oh, but like, don't do that. So the death of his eldest brother was just the start of William's troubles. Within the span of 18 months, his father and all three of his brothers passed away, two of them from tuberculosis, leaving him to run the family farm alongside his mother. It was around this time that he began his romance with Martin. And in 1826, Mariah became pregnant and soon gave birth to his child in 1827 at the age of 25. They're not married, are they? Mm Mm-mm. Ooh. Yeah. And unfortunately, the child passed away only two weeks later. Oh. And Mariah's parents carefully placed it in a box so it could be buried. William promised to bury the child. Uh-oh. Yeah, and professed that he still wanted to marry Mariah, but it had to happen soon. Mm-hmm. Hoping to avoid further scandal, William charmed Mariah in front of her stepmother, Anne Martin, and suggested that they meet at the Red Barn, where he broached the subject of them eloping to Ipswich. When pressed on the urgency of their nuptials, William explained that he'd heard rumors that the local authorities were going to press charges against Mariah for having children out of wedlock. And because at, at the time, the crime of bastardy was punishable by public whipping. Wow. Mm-hmm. 
So she would be, she would get whipped for every single one of her children. Yes. Even the ones that passed away. Yes. (sighs) Wow. So that Friday, May 18th, 1827, William appeared at Mariah's cottage and implored her to meet him at the Red Barn right away under the guise that the constable had acquired a warrant for her arrest. Fearing that she'd be recognized, William suggested she dress in men's clothing and he handed her a men's waistcoat, hat, pair of trousers, and a green bandana. He would bring her things ahead to the barn so she could change before they left for Ipswich to be married. Mm-hmm. So the Red Barn, which was situated on Barnfield Hill, was about a half mile from Mariah's family cottage and a prominent local landmark that was named for its unique red brick roof. Had a brick roof? Mm-hmm. Huh. Oh, I suppose because it's like rounded, right? Um, kinda. And the Red Barn was actually on the quarter's property. Okay. Which was an interesting thing that I discovered. Yeah. And that was also the last day that anyone saw Mariah alive. Great. Yep. Are we all surprised? No. This was not going well for her. So William returned home sometime later after disappearing for a time, quote unquote, getting married. Oh, yeah. You know, as you do. But when he came home without his new wife, friends and family began to question him. Mm -hmm. Where was Mariah? Why hadn't she returned from Ipswich with him? And for a while, William told anyone who would ask that uh, uh, my notes just went all over the place. And I got (laughs) to find my spot again. Okay, I'm back. So for a while, William told anyone who asked that Mariah was just staying in Ipswich until the quote unquote bastard scandal died down a little bit. Yeah, the one that like didn't exist. Yep. And that he would send for her when the time was right. Eventually, the pressure to prove that Mariah was safe and sound became too much, and William fled. Although he did send letters home to Mariah's family from Mariah herself. Oh, interesting. In which she told them that she couldn't come home for one reason or another, such as an illness, a hurt hand, et cetera, et cetera. You know, both really prevent travel. Mm-hmm. Hurt hands. Yeah. Because that's what you used to walk. 80% of canceled flights are because of her hands. This is true. And as time passed, Mariah's stepmother, Anne, soon began to claim that she was experiencing strange visions. That they were supposed to go to the Red Barn. That they were supposed to go and retrieve Mariah's remains. Hmm. So now this is paranormal. This one has it all. On April 19th, 1828, almost a full year since she was last seen, Mariah's father, at the urging of his wife, went to inspect the Red Barn. Uh Uh-oh. After digging in one of the grain storage bins, he quickly uncovered the remains of his daughter, Mariah, who had been buried in a sack. How do you know it was her? Well, she was badly decomposed, but was identified by a missing tooth and the clothing she was wearing. Wow, so they still did dental records, pretty much. Pretty much. It was just a matter of, like, she was famous for having this lost tooth, and so that's kind of how they were (laughs) like... Your tooth is missing, so... Yeah, so they were like, oh, that's Mariah. Now you're like a 9 out of 10 instead of a 10, but it's fine. Still a 9. So an inquest was held at the Cock Inn, and evidence was found at the scene of the crime. Quarter's green handkerchief around Mariah's neck. Interesting. So he just left it around her neck, put her in a sack, called it a day. Yep. Side note, Mariah's stepmother, Anne, was only a year or so older than Mariah herself. And there was some speculation that she may have been having a dalliance with Quarter as well. But she was never officially considered a suspect in the matter and never faced any charges. What was this town called again? Polstead. It sounds like the real housewives of Polstead, doesn't it? Pretty much. Only with like more murder <laughs> than normal housewives content. And the thing that kills me about this, he was not an attractive man. Nobody had land and he had money and he was the only one left. I suppose. It was still gross though. That's what happens. You don't have to be cute if you own a bunch of goats. <laughs> Learn. So William wasn't that hard to find actually. Uh, by using information from one of his friends. <laughs> yeah, he's on the street. <laughs> Mr. Ayers, 
the constable in Polson, and James Lee, an officer of the London police force, who later led the spring Jack case investigation. Nice. Were able to track him down to Everly Grove House in Brentford, a ladies' boarding house in London. Gross. Where he was currently residing with his new wife, Mary Moore. I don't know why, but like, I, I know that you're married, but living in a ladies' boarding house, that does seem like a fox behavior nah. in a hen house. Yep. I don't like it. Ugh, he's so gross. So Corder had been running the boarding house after marrying Moore, who he'd met after he'd placed an advertisement in the Times newspaper and received more than 100 replies. Listen up, men. You have to be cute. Just have a couple goats and have everyone that you've ever loved die. Swing. Lachitis. Tuberculosis. Strangulation. It's fine. Lungs are hard. Marry me. Officer Lee was able to gain entry to the establishment under the pretense of wishing to board his daughter there. Oh, ew. So he's old enough to have a daughter? That's no, 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 no. No, okay. no, 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 no. Oh. The arresting no, officer. The... Okay, good. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, the arresting officer was okay. able to okay. gain entry to the establishment under the pretense Ooh. of wishing to board his daughter there. The old sting op- operation. Yes. Get out. So after securing Corder, who denied all knowledge of both Mariah and the crime itself, mm-hmm. a search of the house uncovered some damning evidence. A pair of pistols thought to have been purchased the day of the murder. Some letters from uh, Mr. Gardner, which were believed to contain warnings of the police coming for him, and a passport from the French ambassador, which suggested Corder may have been preparing to flee the country. Sure sounds like it to me. And after being brought back to Suffolk, Williams' trial started on August 7th, 1828 at Shire Hill in Barry St. Edmunds. The reason it was pushed back so far was because of the interest the case had garnered. Hotels in the area began filling up as early as July 21st, with people clamoring to attend the trial. Wow. So it is like the Real Housewives. Yes. The interest was so great, in fact, that attendees had to be admitted by ticket only. So did anyone have to pay taxes in that town that year? Because uh, <laughs> the trial helped fund the town. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> Merry Christmas to everybody. You're welcome, Paul said. So, of course, William pleaded not guilty. Oh, yeah. No, he's not guilty. And the cause of death could not be determined. However, evidence suggested that a sharp object had been plunged in Mariah's eye socket. Ah! But it couldn't be proven if the wound was caused by William's sword or if it was from Mariah's father's spade while he was discovering her remains. Oh, fuck. Jesus Christ. And strangulation couldn't be ruled out, given that William's handkerchief was found around Mariah's neck, although it was also noted that she appeared to have been shot or stabbed due to further wounds found on her body. Oh, my God. Poor Mariah. William was indicted on nine charges, which included shooting, stabbing, strangulation, and forgery. Yeah, for the letters and stuff, right? Yep. Well, and we find out later on that he had been um, stealing money from her. Of course. Yeah, that makes sense. So, Ann Martin, the stepmother, gave testimony regarding William's visit prior to Mariah's disappearance. And Mariah's younger brother, George, revealed that he saw William with a pistol the day of the murder and later saw him leaving the red barn with a pickaxe. Oh, God. So she could have lost her eye in the pit with a pickaxe. He might have used it to dig the hole to bury her. Oh, fuck. Mm. The prosecution suggested that William initially didn't plan to murder Mariah. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't mean to, but then she she got me all angry. And so I stabbed her with a pickaxe and then I shot her face (laughs) and I strangled her. And then I was like, whoops. And then I put her in a bag. And then in a hole. (sighs) That just conveniently happened to be there. All right. So what did they say? What was the argument? They suggested that William initially didn't plan to murder Mariah. Mm-hmm. But that he felt he had to once Mariah discovered that he had been stealing money from her, in addition to her knowing about his illegal doings. Because apparently he had been taking money that her child's father had been sending her. So in order to prevent a murder, he just murdered first. Yes. 
That was the argument. That was the argument, yes. She was going to kill me, so I killed her first. Yes. Got it. So William gave testimony that he had met Mariah in the Red Barn, but that he left after they argued. He claimed that as he left, he heard a gunshot. And after running back into the barn, he found Mariah prone on the ground with an apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Oh, wow. He begged the jury to declare him innocent. Sure. It didn't take the jury long to reach a verdict. Oh. After deliberating for 35 minutes, <laughs> they found him guilty. And Judge Chief Baron William Alexander sentenced him to death by hanging and that his remains should be dissected. Heck yeah. You don't get to go to heaven because they're, they're going to be everywhere. <laughs> His exact words were, the judge, that you be taken back to the prison from whence you came and that you be taken from thence on Monday next to a place of execution and that you there be hanged by the neck until you are dead and that your body shall afterwards be dissected and anatomized and may the Lord God Almighty, of his infinite goodness, have mercy on your soul. Oh, well, he's not. (laughs) He's going to be a fruit fly when you get older. (laughs) So William languished in prison for three days. And finally, after being urged by the chaplain, his wife, and several of the prison staff, he finally confessed to the crime. He denied stabbing Mariah, but stated that he accidentally shot her as she was changing out of her disguise. Oh, okay. He claimed that they'd gotten into an argument. Oh, but it was an accident. Okay. Some believe over the fact that their child never received a proper Christian burial. She was shot just under the jaw and the bullet exited near her eye. So on August 11th, 1828, William was taken to the gallows of Barry St. Edmunds before a crowd of seven to 20,000 people. The reports differ depending on what paper covered the story at the time. Right. And shortly before noon, William was hanged, and after an hour, his body was cut down and taken back to the courtroom at Shire Hill. To add insult to injury, the hangman took William's trousers and stockings as, quote, his due. (laughs) Nice. Honestly, like, I'm a little happy that people are being so vengeful of a woman who would be considered like a, a hussy. Yeah, like an undesirable. Yeah, you know. Like, it's more often than not, they don't really care that much, but it it seemed like they cared a lot. Either that or they hated him enough that... It could have been a combination of the two, especially if her dad was so well-liked in the town. You know what I mean? Yeah, because all he did was help everybody. Mm -hmm. There was this really interesting snippet from a London Times article on August 12th that I wanted to read to you because one website that I went to was commenting on how... um, even up to his death, William Corder was like attracting the ladies. Oh, God. So it says, quote, seated on a wall, which gave a commanding view of the whole scene, were several ladies dressed in the first style of fashion. I mention this fact because it shows the intense curiosity prevalent in this county respecting every action of Corder, for nothing else could have brought respectable females to behold a catastrophe so uncongenial with the usual kindness and benevolence of the female character. End quote. Gross. Hey, even ladies like murder, okay? Right. Like, I'm sorry. They were the first, one of the first murderinos. Yeah. Uh, Get out. Yeah. So upon arrival to the courthouse... William's body was slid open and laid on display until six o'clock that evening as upwards of 5,000 people filed past to see the body of the murderer. Heck yeah. Point and laugh. The next day, the dissection and post-mortem were conducted in front of a group of Cambridge University students and physicians. Nice. A series of experiments were conducted on his body. Good. Including galvanism. Do you know what that is? Nope. Galvanism is when a battery is attached to the body to show how the muscles contract. Terrifying, but awesome. Anyway, next. And his skull was assessed because... To see if he was like a mur- like he was born a murderer or something. So apparently the shape of it led them to believe that it was highly developed in the areas of, quote, 
secretiveness, acquisitiveness, destructiveness, philoprogenitiveness of or relating to the love of children. Ew. And imitativeness with little evidence of benevolence or veneration, end quote. Cool. So he had um, some sort of head trauma as a kid or something. Something they could point out and they were like, that's a murderer. Or that's a pedophile. So yeah, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, cool. A death mask was made of William and put on display at Moyes Hall Museum at, in Barry St. Edmunds. And his skeleton was reassembled and used as an exhibit and teaching aid at West Suffolk Hospital. The bust is an original made by a child of Bungay, Suffolk, as a tool for the study of Quarter's phrenology. Oh. Yep. Yeah, phrenology, yep. So several copies of William's death mask were made and sold, and the rope with which he was hung was sold off in increments for a guinea apiece. Nice. Which is... 21 shillings or one pound, five pence. His skin was also tanned by surgeon George Creed and used to bind an account of the murder and both the book, his scalp, and a replica of Corder's death mask are still on display at Moyes Hall Museum in Polstead. Damn. Okay, so like people did not like this guy. Like, this yes. was not just about the murder. This was, mm-hmm. screw this guy. We're going to, like, humiliate him in death. Yeah. Cool. I'm for it. Yeah. So during the time of the trial and after, the village of Polstead became a tourist destination, and it wasn't necessarily in a good way. Yeah, kind of sounds like it. It's estimated that people traveled from as far away as Ireland with an estimated 200,000 visiting in 1828 alone. Wow. This really upset me. So people interested in the case would chip pieces from Mariah's gravestone until it completely disappeared. That happens, unfortunately. Souvenir hunters also stripped the barn bare, and businessmen turned wall planks into toothpicks to sell, and what remained of the barn eventually burnt down in 1842. So interest in the case continued for some time afterwards. The same year of Quarter's execution, Staffordshire Fine British Pottery and Porcelain created a set of three models depicting the case. The figures included the Red Barn, which was a thatched building flanked by farmland, Mm -hmm. with William Quarter standing by the open door, beckoning Mariah Martin to join him inside. Uh Uh-huh. Another was the group of Quarter and Martin standing hand in hand. And the last was a figure of Quarter before the judge. A set of this sold in 2010 at Bonham's for 11,760 pounds or $15,590. Dang. Quarter's skeleton remained on display for some time at West Suffolk Hospital, Mm -hmm. where it was used as a teaching aid before it was rigged up to a device that would cause one of his arms to point to the collection box when visitors walked past. Oh, no. He's just a prop. It even spent a stint at the Hunterian Museum of the Royal College of Surgeons of England, where it was displayed next to the remains of Jonathan Wilde, who was a famous 18th century crime boss. Hmm. There's also some more paranormal stuff with this that we're going to go into Yay! right now. Ghosts. So there's a legend that around 50 years after his execution, a Dr. Kilner of West Suffolk Hospital took William's skull as a macabre trophy and replaced it with a fake. After bringing it home, however, he started seeing ghosts and hearing voices. And at one point, he heard a great crash in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. And upon investigation, found that the cabinet that housed the skull had been opened, the box that contained it smashed upon the floor, and the skull itself several feet from where it had previously been held. Gross. Convinced that it was cursed, he gave it to a friend by the name of Hopkins. Cool. A friend. Great. (laughs) Yep. Hey, you're my friend. How about you take this haunted head from me? Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. Bye. And after unfortunate events continued to plague the pair, they paid to have it given a Christian burial and the supposed hauntings ceased. Mm -hmm. 
William's body was eventually laid to rest in 2004 when it was cremated and buried. And today, reminders of the tragedy can still be found. Martin's Lane runs south from the village ponds. And on the lane, you can still see Mariah Martin's cottage, which is a 17th century timber framed house under a thatched roof, which is now run as a bed and breakfast. A haunted bed and breakfast. Totally. (laughs) And if you happen to visit the Cock Inn, which still stands to this day, Mm -hmm. perhaps you'll hear them singing this ballad, Uh which I will attempt to sing for you. Yay. Come all you bold young thoughtless men, a warning take by me, and think of my unhappy fate to be hanged upon the tree. My name is William Corder, to you I do declare. I courted Mariah Martin, most beautiful and fair. I promised I would marry her upon a certain day. Instead of that, I resolved to take her life away. I went into her father's house the 18th of May, saying, My dear Mariah, we will fix the wedding day. If you will meet me at the Red Barn, as sure as I have life, I will take you to Ipswich Town and there make you my wife. I then went home and fetched my gun, my pickaxe, and my spade. I went into the Red Barn and there I dug her grave. That's pretty good. Right? I mean, well done. Super dark. I take it back. I love you, England. You guys are so fucking messed up. I love it. You guys love your rhymes and stealing of, you know, knickknacks. So what are your thoughts on poor Mariah Martin? I think it's really sad. It sounds like she was somebody who just had a really hard time with relationships. Mm-hmm. Probably unstable, sound, like from the sounds of how her life was. Mm-hmm. It was just trying to become stable. And her dad was obviously supportive, didn't really have a super supportive stepmom, which like, how often is that really a thing? Like a super supportive stepmom. Yeah. I mean, there are amazing mothers out there, but. Well, and like the thing too was, was Anne really seeing these ghostly visions or was she just like, screw this guy? Yeah. I know. I know where he buried her. Right. Go find her body. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm really surprised. I I feel like there must have been enough people in general that hated him as a person enough to make his comeuppance be one, so quick and two, so severe. Because being a wealthy white man of his stature and the last of his line, he probably would have gotten away with it if enough people didn't like hate him so much. Well, who knows how many people in the town he'd screwed over? And right. like stolen so from and stuff. It just makes me think that like there was way more to it than just like getting justice for her. Mm-hmm. Like granted, they tucked it nicely under getting justice for Mariah, but I mm-hmm. feel it was more vengeance for a lot more than her murder. But I'm glad that he kind of got what he deserved. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen often. No. I think that's part of why I like the case so much too, is just yeah. like it is so often that people like William Corder just get away with literal murder yep. and they're such little pukes and they're such scumbags yep. and to have one actually get what he's owed in like and a super vicious manner yep. is kind of rewarding in a respect. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not like validating, validating. I think yeah, is what I'm looking it's for. It's not something that we're like, Yeah. Yeah. This is awesome. Cause like typically all of this is terrible. Like all of this is terrible. Yeah. It's but not great. Having someone who was so awful in life to so many people in so many different ways get humiliated in small enough ways to be so satisfactory to so many people. I think that that's really Great. I I think it's sad that um, Mariah was kind of a victim of kind of the popularity of it. Mm -hmm. They didn't leave her grave alone. They desecrated where she was murdered, which I mean, you could argue that was a good thing too. Mm -hmm. But it just seemed like they sensationalized it a lot more than have it be like, this barn is terrible. Let's burn it down for her, you know? Mm -hmm. But I don't know. It's, it's, it's got a satisfying enough ending, I think, mm-hmm. in a very macabre way. So this week's podcast plug mm-hmm. is the Mask of Sanity podcast. 
Nice name. Which is a weekly podcast hosted by Melanie Peterson, an Air Force veteran turned New York City actress who is obsessed with true crime. You can join her each week as she guides listeners through different cases of the world's most notorious killers, such as Arthur Shawcross and Jerry Brudos. It's extremely well done. I highly recommend. Awesome. And we have another question. Okay. This one is from... Emily of the Students Verdict podcast. Okay. And she wants to know if you could choose your last meal, <sighs> starter, main, and dessert, what would you have? Oh, man. Let's see. I would, I would have cheese curds and fried pickles. Oh. And there are these salad kits that are like an Asian Caesar salad which is really good. It's got like pineapple, dried pineapple and like peppercorns and stuff in it. Mm-hmm. I would do that. Um, for the meal, I'd probably do something with breakfast because I just really like eggs, bacon, bagels, do some like hash browns, some sort of like breakfast burrito or something. Mm-hmm. And then for dessert, I'd probably do chocolate covered strawberries and chocolate covered cherries and warmed up pecan pie with a scoop of ice cream on it. Nice. And then I would die from that because I'm a diabetic and that's way too many carbs. <laughs> Joke's on you. Yeah. <laughs> I go out on my own terms. I died happy. Right. <laughs> my stomach hurts. <laughs> Man. Man, that would be so much food. Can't I know. <laughs> As you were saying, I was like, oh, that sounds good. But oh, man, that would hurt my stomach so much. I know. You would, you would have like one bite of everything and then they'd be so upset with you because you'd only have one bite of everything. Yeah. Can you uh, share your last meal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cards or something? I don't know if they share. They probably don't. That'd be really probably not. Um, let's see. I would probably have, as my starter, I would get the egg rolls at Cuviette. They are literally, people who have never had it, they are literally as big as your forearm. Mm -hmm. They are fried. They come with this amazing oil or something that you dip them in. They are so good. So I'd have that as my appetizer. For my main meal, I would have the Niku Soba Ramen from Ichido Ramen. Mm -hmm. It is so good. Yep. Love it. And I would have to end with key lime pie. That's how I'd have to go. Yep. Real key lime pie. Not any of that fake store-bought bullshit. Like real key yeah. lime pie. I'd want a whole pie. Real key limes from Florida? I want a whole pie. <laughs> uh, obviously. I mean, if I'm going out, it doesn't matter if I'm having carbs and like... No. And like lactose because... I mean, if you poop to death, you're welcome, taxpayers. Yep. We're just helping you out. Yep. Should we talk about something good? Yeah. So my boyfriend... Uh, got his puppy when we were came back from Texas. He is so cute. He's so cute. His name is Chief. He's really cute. He's only eight weeks old. So um, very, very, very much like a puppy that like has no bladder control. <laughs> can't control like his feet. So it was like coming home to a baby. Yeah, it was. It was nice having him in my apartment. But it was also incredibly exhausting because I have a five going like a five and a half year old dog who was fully trained when he came to me at two. Mm-hmm. So having a dog that like drinks water and then two seconds later pees like five times, I was not prepared at all. But it was it was worth it. He's so cute and he just kind of melts into your arms. But yeah, he's gonna be he's gonna be a service dog. He's gonna be trained eventually, but um he won't be a service dog until he's fully trained and certified. So that will be two years from now at the earliest. So uh-huh. you can train your own service dogs, but please, 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 please do your research and do it the right way. Thank you for my TED talk. Yeah. And make sure they're certified. <laughs> yeah. And and research the people who are certifying your dog as well, because there are lots of scams out there. So be, be careful, um, do your research. And if there are companies like can do canines, they don't always, they, they usually have their own teams that they certify. They don't do outside teams, but you could go to somebody like them and ask for advice, like real certification groups 
will be open and honest with you about what your options are because they don't want to hurt the service dog industry. So if you ever any, have any questions of, is this person real? Like selling VHS tapes on how to train your service dog at like $20,000? Tell you it's probably not real. But um, if you ever want verification, there are plenty of groups who can help you with that. Mm-hmm. What's your good thing? I had a couple of good things. So we set up a buy me a coffee account and mm-hmm. like six at the time of this recording, six of our fellow podcasters have helped support us in some oh, way, which is really guys. nice. And I really appreciate that. Really nice. For those of you that don't know, the independent podcasting community, for the most part, is an extremely supportive industry. And mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we are all aware of just how much work goes into making a podcast and how hard it is and how much you have to hustle and promote yourself and work towards making it profitable if that's something that you want to do and working to get people to listen to it. And there's a lot more to it than just flicking on a microphone and talking into the ether for a while. So, so it's nice to... I mean, that's kind of why I've decided to purchase like other podcast merch and things like that, because Mm -hmm. like that's an easy way for me to support my fellow podcasters and um, also have some sweet T-shirts and stuff to wear. So absolutely. And they're good conversation starters, too. Like, oh, I like your shirt. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you like it. It's from this really cool podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's kind of less likely to happen now. Yeah. People don't talk to each other anymore with masks on. But... It could happen if you take a picture of it. Yep, down, <laughs> down the road in the future, it could be a thing. Yeah. And then I also did want to shout out um, my friend Jenny, who's probably going to be super like, oh my God, that I shouted her out. But she has recently started listening to our podcast when she comes home from work, like super early mm-hmm. in the morning. And she texted me today and was like, I've run out of episodes. And she was like, oh, no. so sad. Because she's like, I really enjoy like having you guys listen to on my commute. You know, it's like I'm part of a conversation and I'm learning a lot of really fun things. And it's fun to sit with you guys and like feel like you're part of the conversation, which. Thank you. That's so sweet. Yeah. And I thought that was really nice because a lot of other people say similar things, which Mm. I'm glad people feel that way. Because that's kind of how I hoped people would feel listening to this podcast. like. That you're part of a conversation, you're just sitting here listening to two sisters just kind of shoot the shit in essence <laughs> while talking about I mean truly. That's yeah. So it's kind of nice to hear stuff like that and know that people like what we do. Mm-hmm. So thank you guys. That's really sweet. That's that's kind of my intention is like some of my favorite podcasts are ones that are more conversation based. I find it just super soothing to listen to that when I'm driving or if I'm on the bus work or if I'm walking Willie. There's something really nice about the more conversational podcasts. That being said, I love like story podcasts like um, Haunted Places and Lore mm-hmm. and, you know, like Criminal, like the more like... Where it's a one story. person telling yeah. a story. Yeah, those are just as good. Mm-hmm. And, and incredible in their own right. But um, I feel like there's a time and a place for podcasts, just kind of like moods on what kind of music you, you want to listen to. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciate that there are so many different, so many different podcasts and so many different versions of this. Mm-hmm. And also um, voice is really important. And I'm really happy. I have always hated my voice. And so I, it's, it's nice to know that people like it enough to listen more than once. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a tough thing to be like, to kind of put your voice out there. Cause we're not changing our, our normal voices for any reason. We could never do that. No. For as long as podcast is. No, it's not possible. And it's, it's funny that you say that about the voice too, because it's something where like when we first started the podcast and I first started editing all the podcasts, I would hate listening to myself talk. I hate it so much. Even now, um, I kind of, my eyes glaze over when I talk. 
See, and I'm, I'm kind of the opposite now where I've just gotten so used to hearing myself talk after like listening to myself talk for literal hours on end as I'm editing mm-hmm. that I'm just kind of like, oh, this is, this is me. <laughs> this is what I sound like. <laughs> this is what it sounds like. <laughs> so whatever, I guess. You know. Well, and it's funny that you say that because like, whether they're just saying it to be nice because they're my friends <laughs> or what, right? you know, people have said, I like the way you guys talk. You have mm-hmm. your voices aren't annoying, which is good because I have listened to podcasts where I really wanted to like them, but I had to stop listening to them because I just could not stand the person's voice. Yep. And it's such a shame. Mm-hmm. It's so hard. But um, if, if that's you guys with us, sorry, but we get it. If you have to stop listening. Yeah. Don't power through and get like a headache. Yeah. It's not worth it. Yeah, it's not. We love you just the same. Yeah. Anything else? I don't think so. So you can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com and follow us on social media at yieldcrimepod on Twitter and yieldcrimepodcast on Instagram. You can also email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Come say hi. Yeah. We love to hear what you think of the show. Just send us emails of gifts. Honest to God, that would be amazing. No subject. If I woke up and just saw like 30 emails of just single gifts, I would lose my goddamn mind. I know. It sounds really fun. Please do that. Like you don't need a subject line. Just like whatever gift you're feeling. Yep. I love it. That's amazing. I like it. Let's do that. (laughs) But also if you have stories you want to share or like story suggestions or... Stories with gifts. Stories with gifts. If you want to animate your story with appropriate gifts, please yeah. do. I Absolutely. will love you for it forever. Mm-hmm. If you are enjoying the podcast, please consider giving us a five star rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts, because it really helps us out. It helps more people find us. It lets mm-hmm. people know that like us and that we're worth a listen and someday you know it might mean that we're gonna try to sell you at home food kits and shoes and and period products yeah and watches (laughs) trying to think of like all the ones i've heard (laughs) there are also a few other ways you can help support us you can buy us a coffee like i mentioned before you can become a member of our patreon i am actually looking at some exclusive merch that only our patrons will be able to get, which I am super excited about. And that will be revealed once I have it finished. But trust me when I say it's something that you are really going to want that will only be available for patron supporters at any level. So Mm -hmm. whether you give $5 a month or if you want to throw more at us, every person who supports us will get this gift. And you can also buy some of our merch on TeePublic. We will have links to all of these in our show notes. So you, And they're also part of our link tree, which is um, the link on all of our social media bios. Um, that's where you can find the links to all of our stuff, all in one handy dandy spot. Yeah, if you ever can't sleep at three in the morning, want something to do, click on us stuff. Click on us stuff. Click on us stuff. Send us gifts. <laughs> <laughs> And as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale. As old as crime. <laughs>